You are listening to the light of today with the powerful, life-changing Word of Christ that heals, delivers, transforms, and fills you with the Holy Spirit. Let God's truth burst forth into your heart. Stay tuned to the light of today with Chris Palmer. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 3. And as I said before, we have a podcast, so if you want these studies, it's been updated. You can go and receive and be blessed. Amen. And go over these things. And The point of these Bible studies is that I told the Lord I would minister foundational things because many times inside of the church world you're hearing topics preached. How to have a healthy family. How to have a healthy marriage. Evangelism. You know, um, eating right. Things that you hear typically in church and those are good. But I noticed in a lot of believers the gospel never really comes full circle for people. If you ask people today and you say, what does the gospel Tell me the message of the gospel. Uh, there would be, for every hundred people, 99 different answers. It would always be about Jesus. But even though the gospel is about Jesus, you hear a lot of messages that have really nothing to do with Jesus. Nothing to do with your salvation. Nothing to do with coming to know God. Everything to do with maybe your benefit. You know, this gospel is about a better me. No, it's not about a better you, not exactly about a better you, because saying a better you is very indigenous of the language that we use today in our social media worlds, it's very narcissistic, self-centered. It really will make you better, but it's not about a better you, amen? It's about how the Lord Jesus, in his mercy, in his grace, how exactly he's redeemed mankind and how it plays a very significant part in your life this is the message that we preach amen? amen and so I said okay Lord I'll teach various aspects of salvation of the ministry as a whole so that we can come full circle about this and we're right in the middle of our study um, and these are just teaching services so I'm just gonna teach tonight is that okay very basic we were as I put on the flyer, we're going to do essential doctrines. And the real essential doctrine that we don't have, I'm trying to teach you guys things that I could sit in the classroom and teach for hours. Literally, whole textbooks and volumes have been written on the subjects I'm trying to give to you guys in just a few short nights. So we're talking about salvation tonight. As we started last night, and I know I talked about sin last week, and nobody likes to hear about sin, but if you don't understand sin, you don't understand the gospel. That's right, Brother Chris. We do need to hear about sin. We need to hear about how it has been in this world and how it's been defeated and dethroned by those that believe in Jesus. Amen. So you cannot appreciate, like I said last week, your salvation until you see how you were a sinner. And I said last week in Pastor Review that many people in the world today are offended at Jesus because once you prescribe Jesus, you diagnose sin. And they say, don't tell me about Jesus because you tell me about Jesus. Now you tell me I have a problem with me. And I don't want to believe I have a problem with me. I just want to believe I can improve me, but not that I have some sort of problem. And we as Christians believe we're unable to save ourselves. Right? So tonight I want to talk to you about an aspect, two aspects of salvation, and next week I'm going to finish up on salvation, we're going to move to how to study the Bible. Is it okay? 
And I want you to miss how to study the Bible. So I'm going to have a little blackboard here. I'm going to do exercises. I'm going to take some of the hardest passages that you've heard torn up, preached all sorts of ways, and we're going to get right to it. And i got a really awesome study for you. It'll make you like, wow. I'm not going to show you something that's pulled out of the Bible. I'm going to walk you through the process, how to take a complex passage of Scripture and really pull out what someone's trying to say in that Scripture. And it'll cause you to go into your Bible study with your marriage your wife, your husband, do the things I show you and come up with some, I like to call it, electrifying exegesis. Is that okay? <laughs> Matthew 18, 3. Jesus is talking. Let's go to verse number 1. At the same time, the disciples came unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst and said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted. Somebody say converted. Converted. Jesus now, in response to the kingdom of heaven and entry into the kingdom of heaven, has answered with a very significant statement, and that is, how do you enter into the kingdom of heaven? How do you become greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said, the way into the kingdom of heaven is through conversion. And this is what he says, and become as this little child, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So... There are many people today, they want to be very inclusive and believe that everybody's going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. If you're taking notes, write this down. What is the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven is God's complete rule upon the earth. And not just the earth, the universe. Are you with me tonight? It's the time where God becomes all in all. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are the same thing in scripture. One is not different from the other, and that's a whole nother study in and of itself. And the kingdom of God is and is yet to come. You'll find statements in scripture that say the kingdom of God is here. Jesus, of course, came by John the Baptist, and John the Baptist announced the kingdom, and then you'll find that we're also waiting for the kingdom when you see scriptures that talk about the millennial reign. It's like it is and is to come. I've used this example before. It's like a person that does their dissertation, stands before people that he has to present it to, and they read his dissertation, he presents it, and they tell him, congratulations, your dissertation has been accepted. Well, does that make that person doctor so-and-so? In a way it does, in a way it doesn't. Because he has to wait to graduation to receive his diploma to become Dr. Joe Smith. But he's already done everything that's necessary, so he is in a way a doctor, but he is yet to receive the fullness of that doctoral. Amen. So the kingdom of God has come, but it is the same thing. It has yet to come. So it's a kingdom that has come, but it's a kingdom that we're looking for. And so if the kingdom of God has come, it means that those that want to be a part of it can become a part of it. And the way that you become a part of it was what the disciples wanted to find out. And Jesus could have said a million things. He said, could have said, well, you get a rosary, and you go do the Hail Mary, and you'll come into the kingdom of God. But he didn't say that. Jesus could have said, you know what you do? You go feed the poor. And when you feed the poor, then you can be part of the kingdom of heaven. But he didn't say that. He could have said, well, if you want to be part of the kingdom of heaven, what you need to do is you just need to get along with people. You know, just stop fighting with one another. Just get along. Stop being racist. Stop getting mad at the Samaritans. Stop treating the Romans so bad. Just obey authority and be a good person and give when you're supposed to give and go to church 
and you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. But did he say that? Jesus used a term in scripture that we're going to talk about tonight, and that is conversion. That's conversion. And so I want to talk to you about this aspect of salvation. Am I okay tonight? Is this okay? Write this down real quick before we start talking about this. The deeper we understand salvation, the more rooted we are in faith, and the more we can offer praises to God's glory. One of the key things that the Bible condemns is lack of knowledge. How many times in Scripture did Jesus get upset at his disciples because of their slow of understanding? Jesus says, oh, you slow of heart. Slow to understand. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So God doesn't think it's cute when he finds his people ignorant. One time I, a person in my family, my cousin, said to me, do you think God sees me, you know, um, and uh, the way I live, and he was referring to his shortcomings, and do you think he ever laughs at them? Like, oh, that's my son. I said, I don't think he does it at all. I don't think God finds you cute maybe the way you find my nephew cute when he says things he's not supposed to say. Because he's giving you his word, he's giving you his spirit, he's called you to be an overcomer. And one thing that God doesn't find cute is your ignorance. Because in life today, people have so much knowledge of so many trivial things that really, in the end, don't make any difference whatsoever and can provide no fruit. You know, you find some people, if you're a sports-minded guy like me, you can tell me the year so-and-so was born on the Detroit Pistons and how many points they averaged in 1995. You can tell me, you know, what kind of car they drive, but you don't have knowledge of scripture. You can tell me, well, tell me about this baseball player. What, you know, what in it? And you say, oh, he's averaging, you know, a 4.0 in the era and blah, blah, blah. And they say, what about scripture? And God sometimes, I think, says, well, you know, you know all this stuff, but what about knowing my word? What about, no, why don't you know, well, you know, I've I'm, I'm been playing, you know, uh, video games and I'm on level 15, and, but what about my word? You know, you're on level 15, but you don't know what my Bible, well, I, that's the experts figure that out. Listen, the game you're playing in computer is more complicated than understanding the Bible. Right? No, I, I, I'm not, I don't know what the Bible is. Go get a book and read about it and figure out what it's saying. It's not hard. So God doesn't excuse our ignorance and he doesn't find it cute. He says in Hosea 4.12, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And so it stands to reason the more knowledge you have, the better chance you have at not being destroyed. You find a person that's living in sin. Listen, sin is a very easy statement, but sin will always catch up. Sin has faster legs than you. But it's not catching up to me now. You know, people sin a lot of times because they think they're getting away with something. You know, and that's the thrill of it. You're not going to believe they call their buddy. You're not going to believe what I got away with. Listen, sin is watching you. And when it comes to track you down, it is coming. And it will track you down and swallow you whole, friend. And you say, why is it tracking you down? Because you forgot. You got arrogant and got prideful and forgot it is coming looking for you. And you know, a lot of times you find people depressed in the world. You find them sad, you find them upset. You know what it is? They're dealing with the fact that sin is now making them pay. Yeah. But thank God for Jesus. Yeah. People that have Jesus have peace. People that have Jesus have joy. Amen? That's why it's so important for you to tell people about how to get out of their mess. You can tell someone, well, sin's got your pockets empty, you know? Sin's like the one making you pay. Your pocket's out. 
I got no more money, Sam. No, you owe me this. But I got nothing else to pay. I got nothing. It's like someone who can't pay the rent. You know how you know how depressed people get when they can't pay their rent, can't pay their mortgage. They got bills that come on the desk. What? I've been there. What am I gonna do? I got all these bills. How am I gonna pay all these bills? You can't sleep at night. You tossing and turning. How you wake up in the morning? You see the car bill. You see the phone bill. You see the energy bill. You find out you're two months behind, and now the bill's coming again. You know, and then all of a sudden someone calls you and tells you that your car can't work, and oh my God, and you're depressed. Why? Because you have to pay, and this is miserable. And you know what sin? It's a creditor it comes looking for you. You're gonna pay. Amen. So, I want to show you tonight that. Let me write this down. That most people that come to God when they're in their sin and they've committed sin, they come to God looking for forgiveness. Amen? Amen. Beyond forgiveness and the addition of the peace that they're missing in their life, very few people that I have ever known ever come to God looking for all the benefits of salvation. Not until they get into Jesus and are taught knowledge and understanding do they ever realize what this salvation package actually includes. Have you ever bought a package and realized it includes more than what you purchased? You go buy a cruise. Maybe you go on the cruise, you think all it includes is you getting on the boat until you walk in there, and then you go and they say, here's a bracelet. What's this bracelet for? Well, it means you can eat as much as you want to eat, whenever you want to eat, however you want to eat, until you fall over the boat and pass out. <laughs> well, we mean I can eat all this food? Yeah. Well, what time does it cut off? No, no, we got food at 3 o'clock in the morning if you're hungry. Who's ever been on a cruise? You ever been on a cruise? It's dangerous to go on those cruises, right? Because you go on the cruise, and you know, you start putting, you should have seen my uncle when we went on a cruise one time. They had breakfast and lunch, and it's like he thought he only had to get one plate. He had breakfast and lunch piled up on his plate. I told him, I said, you know, you can get more than one plate. He said, that's going to throw you out. You can stay here whatever you want. Package is so good, you just eat until you pass out. And this is, in a way, salvation. The package is humongous. And very few people realize that your salvation includes more than just going to heaven. And the sad part about it is that many people go through life and don't realize everything that's included in salvation after being saved for so long. All they think is, I have peace with God. And I'm going to heaven and I'm righteous. No, 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 no. Let me teach you something about what Jesus did for you and about what part of the kingdom of God is. He is a good God. His plan is perfect. He's not to blame for anything. He has a, God's mind is a supercomputer. He's figured it all out right from the beginning and he knows if you just do what he'll tell you to do, you're gonna come out on top. Yes. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so Jesus talked about conversion. I wanna to talk to you tonight about two aspects. Someone say conversion. conversion. Someone say conversion. conversion. Okay, very first thing. Um, write this down if you're taking notes about conversion. Because Jesus said, if you want the pen, if you want the package, if you want the benefit, Carnival Cruises, you want to come on a Carnival Cruise, eighteen hundred dollars. Pay the eighteen hundred dollars for now. Part of Carnival Cruise. So how do you become part of the Kingdom of God package? What is it that you have to do to become part of the Kingdom of God? And Jesus says, you need conversion. 
So if that's the case, do you not want to know what conversion is? Yeah. I think it stands to reason we should know what conversion is. Someone says, I know what conversion is. It's just giving my heart to Jesus. It's going to a Billy Graham concert crusade and just coming down and, and answering the call and filling out a card. Well, yes, but no. You mean to tell me people that don't go and, and come down and respond to the Billy Graham altar? I love Billy Graham. He has done so much for the gospel. But we'll find out if it's true conversion or not based upon what the Bible says. Or my services or anyone's services. Conversion, if you take a note, is our willing, these are key words, I'm not wasting words with this definition, our willing and heartfelt response to the internal call of God. You remember last week I talked about effective call? Remember I talked about that? How the preacher starts preaching and externally you're hearing somebody minister to you. Why is it that Sarah Smith and Joe Smith, a couple, comes to hear service? And Sarah hears the preacher and Joe hears the preacher. Still hearing the same thing. And Sarah responds and gives a hundred views and Joe says, why? I don't understand why she's going down there. Because they both had external calling. They heard it from the preacher, but only Sarah had the internal call of God working in her heart. The other person heard nothing and could be various reasons. God could try to speak to that person, but their heart is hard. And so, now that we're picking up from that internal calling, when Sarah hears, God saying, Sarah, come to me. Are you weary yet? Are you tired of your sins? Aren't you tired of not having peace? Are you stressed out? Don't know why? Jesus says, come to me all that are weary and burning. How many lived in sin? I lived in sin. How many lived in sin? Raise your hand. You remember how heavy it was? Sin weighed down. And you look back and you say, why am I feeling like it's all your bad decisions? stupid decisions that you made because you thought you could order your life yourself and you, I look back and did this and Jesus says when you heard the gospel preached are you ready? are you ready? and you say yeah God I'm ready and so conversion begins when you respond to the internal calling of God not just by walking not just by taking steps towards the altar because that doesn't mean it's heartfelt. It is not filling out a card. It is not praying a prayer with the street evangelist just to get him to leave. It is something that first has taken place inside the heart. Amen. 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 And if it takes place inside of your heart, you know what it will be? How many have ever gotten a really bad gift before? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Yeah. A bad gift. You know how you know you got a bad gift. <laughs> Let me tell you how you know you've given a bad gift. You give the gift to somebody? You never see it. That's one way of knowing it. Amen. They re-gift it. That's another way. One time someone gave me a book for my birthday. I said, oh. Amen. And I put it on the shelf. I don't know if that's a good book, but I'm gracious from the person. I opened up the book. 
and somebody had wrote a message to the person who gave it to me for their birthday. I like to let people say, give them a great exit, you know, so they don't have to feel so bad. But I thought, that is downright low. <laughs> wow. You know, you've gotten a bad gift because when you give the person the gift, let's say it's pajamas, you give them the pajamas, and they open them and say, oh, pajamas. <laughs> when they say the name of the gift, you fail. <laughs> you have failed. This is Christmas, oh, pajamas. <laughs> Great. <It's> socks. Great. <laughs> That's how you know the gift's bad. You think, oh, geez. Did I get on a bad gift? Yeah. It's not my size. I'm going to return it. Then. Did you get it? Well, I went to return it, but I didn't have it. I had to get this instead. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, I can use that one. Don't know when to get her any gifts, okay? <laughs> so, write this down for conversion. It's sincere. So, let me give you the two definition. Conversion is our willing and heartfelt response to the internal call of God in which we sincerely repent of sins and place our trust and faith in God for salvation. That's a lot. I'm going to break it down and wind it in just a few minutes here. So, conversion by definition is very simple. It's not complicated. Are you thankful God did make the gospel complicated? It means to turn. If you've ever read a verse of the Graham, it preaches like this, it's true. It means to turn. And it doesn't just mean any turn. It doesn't mean turning left on Old Road, turning right on Grand River. It means in spiritual context, a spiritual turn from your burden and lifestyle of sin to Christ. And remember why I'm telling you this, because this is what gets you in the kingdom of God. Nothing else. You say, well, did Jesus die for all? And it's like all through one man's sin, death enters the world, so death by one man's righteousness, you know, right one man's and the second man's death, righteousness enters into the world. No, no, no. Jesus said that even though he's going to die for his sins, it's still going to take conversion to you to receive that. It doesn't mean that just because Jesus died, everyone's saved now. You have to receive Jesus into your heart. Amen? And so, this is not conversion. This turning from sin is not an option. It is a must. It's an absolute. And it must take place in order for somebody to be not only a follower of Jesus Christ, but an heir of salvation. Somebody today, uh, the other day was on, on social media, and they said, you know what the enemy of God is? It's not sinners and idolaters and wicked people. It is Christians who don't follow Christ. I thought to myself, a Christian who doesn't follow Christ how is that even possible? Are you not a Christian if you don't follow Christ? The word Christian was first used as a slang. I won't get into it. Used as a slang for Stoinite in the Greek, and it simply means people that follow the King of Judea, who is Jesus, because they saw him following Jesus. Said this is Christian and follow Jesus. Can't be a Christian not follow Jesus. I don't know what you are, but you're not a Christian. You're a professing Christian, but you're not Christian. I'm not trying to tonight say who and who's not Christian, but I'm trying to tell you what the Bible says. Okay. Okay. And so, um, in conversion, there are two things that make up a true conversion to Jesus. Two things. I'm going to show you from Scripture. Say two things. Okay. Are you receiving tonight? Two things. Number one, the very first thing 
is a turn from sin. A turn from sin. So, the first thing that happens is a turn from. Amen. But if you're going to turn from something, you have to turn to something. So it's not just a turn from sin. It is a turn from sin and a turn to Christ. These, you say, which one comes first? It happens simultaneously. Is not, you know, well, I turn in conversion. It's not one of the other. It's both. I turn from sin. Why? Because I had the internal call of God. He, the Bible says, has called you out of darkness and into this glorious light. So you turn from the darkness to the light. Amen. Go with me to John chapter 3, verse 16. I know you all know this one. John 3, 16. Amen. Someone say, turn from sin. Turn to Christ. This is pretty basic. But it's, you're going to see where I'm going with all this. It's going to all come full circle. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believe in him, now right there, mark that down if you're taking notes, should not perish, but have everlasting life. And go with me to John 6, 29. Let me show you. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you should believe on him whom thou hast sent. So, the very first thing that you need to know about conversion, someone say conversion is that it is, first and foremost, a turn from sin to Christ. So, if you're going to turn to Christ from sin, after responding to His call, this means that you're going to have to trust Jesus. This is what the Bible definition of Faith is. Someone says to me, what is the definition of faith? You have people today defining faith a hundred different thousand ways. And faith is a very simple subject in the Word of God. You could say it's confidence, but that doesn't really give you the full value of what it is. And I like to use the word trust because trust is usually identified with people. You say, I have, I, I you say, you know, why are you let Jordan drive your car? I have faith in Jordan. You really wouldn't say that. You'd say, I trust Jordan. Right. Same thing. I, I have faith in him, but that faith is not necessarily if I have trust in him. And so you say, why? Why well, wouldn't let Jordan drive my car? I didn't know him. I let Jordan drive my car because I have gotten to know him and I have collected information about him I have watched him I have developed relationship with Jordan and out of this relationship he has proven himself to me as authentic and are you here tonight yeah. and someone who he says he is he is yeah. and so now because I have seen he is who he says he is he has proven himself to me I can have trust in Jordan and this is how you have 
conversion, the very first thing is you have trust in Jesus. It says here in Romans 10, 14, how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? So how, listen, listen, how can you have faith in Jesus if you have never heard about Jesus? You say, well, why do I have to tell Brother so-and-so? Uh, why do I have to go preach the gospel? Why do you have to have Bible study? Why do you have to have, why are you going to go and, 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 and do church? Because people today, more than anything ever in the whole history of the world, are looking for answers. They are searching. How do I get over this disease that I have? How do I get over this depression? How do I get my marriage fixed? How do I get my life out of the gutter? Tell me. They Google. They go online. They get no answers. They go on. They watch television shows, and they don't have answers. So you know what they do? They start watching television and wishing they were other people's lives. And this is a form of denial. I, my life stinks, so I'm going to go on television, I'm going to watch reality TV and wish that I was the bachelor. <laughs> wish that I was the bachelor. Wish that I could just be an accept. And then you just think, you know how they suck you in on these television shows? They show the average Joe who was doing nothing but working at a carnival 15 or 60 you know, days ago, and he just saw my friend told him, go try out for X-Factor. All I need, and yeah, that could be me. And you know, you start thinking, when's my big break gonna come? When's my big break gonna come? I'm just gonna have a big break. When I can have a big break, I'm gonna walk into Walmart and I'm gonna get discovered because someone's gonna hear me humming. And, and you know what? You don't have an answer. You're just hoping, irrational, because some guy, one in 360 million in America, had this happen to me. Guess what? Not gonna happen to you. <laughs> and if it does, don't forget to tithe on that, eh? <laughs> and do you know what people need more than anything? Answers. You can't trust Exodus, but you know who you can trust? Jesus. Yes. You can trust that he's faithful. So that's why I have to preach the gospel. That's why I'm not a doctor. That's why I didn't go study you. That's why I went to Bible school so I could preach the gospel to people so people can say, tell me more about this Jesus, why he's faithful. What else? He's a burden bearer. What else? He died for your sins. What else? He shed his blood on the cross. What else? He's true. What else? He has righteousness written on his side. What else? When he when you pray, he hears you. What else about him? He's given to the Holy Spirit to help you when you pray. What else? He understands because he was pierced with infirmities and weakness. What else? He knows your name. What else? And you start telling him. You know what starts to happen? They start to know more about Jesus, and eventually, God will call to that person yeah. and say, Joe, yeah, follow me. And you know what? Because they've heard, they'll say, I trust you, Jesus. And it pulls them out of their sin and their hopelessness because they trusted in Christ. It says in Romans 1.32, though they know God's decrees, those that do such things. Okay, so let's write this down to take it. Let me, let me, let me, I can't remember myself. Write this down. Faith in Christ. To have this faith in Christ, where you can turn from your sins into Jesus, it requires several things. So, knowledge of Jesus, knowledge of Jesus is necessary, as I just stated, but it's not enough. There are many people today, they know a lot about Jesus. They grew up in church. They grew up in catechism at the Catholic Church. 
They can tell you all about his work. They can tell you his passion, all the things he did. But just having knowledge in and of itself of Jesus is not enough to get you into the kingdom of heaven. It's not enough to provide you with the peace and the joy that you're looking for. Okay? You say, what do you mean? Romans 1.32 says, though they know God's decrees, those that do such things and they deserve to die, they not only do them, but approve those things that practice them. Which means, though they know not, they, though they know God's decrees, they still live in sin. So it's not enough just to know. Number two, knowing facts and approving them about Christ is not enough. This means that people know about Jesus. You hear tonight? Yeah. Though they know about Jesus, and though they approve what you're saying is true about Jesus, that's still not enough to get somebody into the kingdom of heaven and get them involved in that salvation package. Amen. Amen. This is a somebody that when you start talking about holy things, they respect you. This is somebody that can engage in some surface level conversation of holy things. This might even be someone that reads the Bible. And somebody that takes their family to church. But in order to have, in order to have this conversion experience, and in order to turn from sin and place your faith in Jesus, it means that you have to make a decision from the heart that you are going to follow Christ. This is not just saying, oh, maybe we try. No, 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 no. Let's, 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 let's talk about apples and oranges tonight. Let's really make a distinction. This is not trying Jesus. This is saying, I am convinced he is he says he is and my emotions testify to it my brain testifies my intellect testifies to it my spirit man testifies to it so you know what I'm going to do now you know what you've done you have made a decision to trust him so like I just said go with me back to that scripture John 3.16 this word John in John 3.16 is very interesting because let me read it in the Greek what it says. This is what it literally says. Whoever not believes in Christ, whoever believes into Christ should not perish but have everlasting life. This, if you, you read this, this term, whoever not believe in Christ, whoever believes their way into Christ should not perish but have everlasting life. This was never used ever in classical Greek literature, not one time of anywhere except this passage in the Bible. It is a unique statement that talks about the way that Christians believe in Jesus. When it says to believe into something, it means in the sense, when you believe into someone that that trust goes into and rests in Jesus as a person. It means a strong, it means so much that I... I believe in you so much. I trust in you so much that your word is true. That my trust in you literally makes me one. Your faith in Jesus. You say faith that he's going to give me a car? I'm not talking about that right now. You mean faith that he's going to fulfill my dreams and make me you know, the next YouTube wonders, I'm talking about that right now. Give me my faith that, that 
you're going to give me the woman or the man of my dreams. No. I'm talking about the faith that you are birthed with your sin and depression and, and, and misery. And you've been looking for a way and a place to stop it and get rid of that ugly thing that you hate in yourself the most. When you look in the mirror and you can't stand the way you look and you find a, find a way to get rid of this, you have trusted Jesus is who he says he is and can take this nasty thing from you and relieve you of your misery. Because guess what? And he couldn't do it. And guess what? Your ex-boyfriend or girlfriend couldn't do it. Your career couldn't do it. But I trust that Jesus is the answer. He's the one that can take this burden off my shoulder. And Jesus says, come to me, all that are tired from sin. I will give you the peace. And you say, I trust you, Jesus. And you take that burden of sin and he takes it from this is called saving faith. I trust Jesus is big enough to take the parts of me that I don't like about myself. When you look in scripture and see this faith referring to anything else, you will always not understand what scripture is talking about. It's not talking about how to make your life better in your own personal ambition. It's talking about how to be free, how to rid the world of sin. Amen. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit doesn't direct and guide your stuff. But in terms of what Sister Nita, this Bible is saying, this is what it's talking about. Are you with me tonight? So, you have to make a personal decision from your will from your heart to put trust to put trust in Christ as the one who can save you from sins. Um, and so <clears throat> it's not just your mind making this decision. All of your being. How many remember they got saved? Raise your hand. And then you, you, you trusted Jesus. Was it just you walked down? Kind of just I'm gonna give you try. Or was it is it possible that your emotions were involved in this process? That your mind was involved in this process? That you just, something inside of you was crying out, I need to give my life to Jesus. Remember that? It says here in John 6, 37, I'm going to read it. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and him who comes to me I will no wise cast out. What's he talking about right here? It means that when you're burdened with sin, when you come to him, he's going to take that burden. If anyone thirsts, John 7, 37, he said, let him come to me and drink. So write this down if you take a note. In light of what Jesus just said. Repentance then. Repentance is a heartfelt sorrow for sin. A renouncing of that sin. And a sincere commitment to forsake it and walk into obedience with Christ. Now let me say this to you. When you repent, remember so what conversion means, it means eternal. When you repent, so it requires number one, faith in Christ. You said that, right? But you trust Jesus. So your faith in Christ is the turning to Jesus. Your turning away from sin is called repentance. So conversion has two aspects to it. Faith in Jesus and repentance from sin. So you say, how do you know I've converted? 
it means that you have repented from sin and you put your faith in Jesus. Let me say this about repentance. You got that? You got it. Repentance includes your intellectual understanding. It means that when the Lord called you and you decided to trust Christ, your intellect, remember we talked about sin last week, why did Adam and Eve sin? Remember why they sinned? It was irrational. There's no explanation for why you would turn on God. Sin is irrational. Like I said, let's do the nation of sin. If you take sin and follow it all the way down from point A to point Z, you'll find out it's never worth it to sin. It's irrational to do it. And so, you're in the moment of repentance, you think about it for a second and you say, yeah, something wrong with sin. So your intellect gets involved and sees sin as irrational. And then you have your emotions that come along and start working for you and start approving that the Word of God is true. Your inner feelings begin to agree that sin is stupid and is no longer worth it to you to live in that type of a lifestyle. Right? And then, in repentance, after your intellect and emotions, then your will kicks in. What are we going to do about it? Your mind says, this is dumb. And your emotions say, I agree, it's stupid. And your will says, what are we going to do about it? And your will says, I know what we're going to do. We're going to turn to Jesus. Right? And so, your will gets affected by the inner call of God to come out of that sin, to trust Jesus. Is this good to you tonight? To get out of the sin, to trust Jesus, and your will says, I'm going to order your life to start following after the Master. This is repentance. And so, if this has happened in your life, somebody has truly said sin stupid, and your mother said it's dumb, and you have a will, will give up and says, let's follow Jesus, it will bring forth what the Bible calls the fruits of repentance. How do you know someone is following Jesus? Because in their life, you will see evidence of the tree that somebody has turned from sin. You find somebody, I'm not getting down on these people, that still get proud of their sin. Still use their social media to glorify the sin that they've done. Still like to go out and talk about all the beers they drink and all the cigarettes they smoke and all the you know, selfies, all 2,000 of them on the whole Instagram. But you say to that person who says they follow Jesus, why don't you put a scripture? I'm not putting down scripture. No way, I'm not putting that up. You don't mind putting beers that you're drinking up. But you don't want to put a scripture up about Jesus? You don't want to send Christmas cards that have Bible verses on them to people? You don't want to wish your brother in Christ Merry Christmas or something like that because you are ashamed of the gospel? Isn't he your master? Don't you follow him? Am I here? Am I, am I talking okay tonight? And you start to wonder, now I can't judge and say to somebody, well, you're not, don't tell someone you're not a Christian. But you know what I do when I see that consistently inside of a person's life? I mark it. I say, I don't see fruits of the in this person's life. Who are you to judge? I'm not judging. And first of all, I should teach on judging. The Bible doesn't say you can't judge. 
Because in order for them to put the Corinthian out that was sleeping with his father's wife, they had to judge that action as wrong and turn him over and say, get out of the church. In order for them to tell false teachers to stop coming in their assembly, they had to mark their doctrine and judge it as wrong. And we go to the book of Jude, you will find that Jude uses some of the most inflammatory language possible about false teachers. It is, in the Greek language, according to what my teacher says, it is some of the most offensive language, period. Yeah, you know what the Bible also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5? If there be one among you who is a fornicator in your church, don't even have dinner with them. That's why. I asked Donald, why are you so harsh on God? Why are you so harsh? You know what Because a person, I'm not talking about sinners. If a sinner wants to do that, that's what they're going to do. You're supposed to win those people in love. But if there's someone who comes in fornicating in the church, and you start fellowshipping with that person, you know what he's going to do? Subvert the weak-minded mm-hmm. into believing that what yeah, they're doing okay. is acceptable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is how the church becomes weak-minded. Mm-hmm. That is how the church becomes accepting. You know what you're supposed to do? That people have problems, people have issues. As a pastor, as an elder in the church, it's responsibility. That it, it, it's responsibility that you protect the people of God mm-hmm. from people who pay attention are to do wrong. Mm-hmm. Amen. Mm-hmm. Are you here tonight? And so, go with me to Second Corinthians chapter seven. I want to say something. Else. Someone say sorrow. How many of you have ever had to tell someone you're sorry for something? You know, it's hard for men to say they're sorry. But the women say amen. Amen. All right, amen. Men don't like to say they're sorry. I, don't, I know some women probably don't, but for men, it's a challenge. Tell men, if you've done something wrong to your wife, just say you're sorry and get over it. Tell her what you're sorry for. You know, sometimes people, they say they're sorry, but they don't say what they're sorry for. I'm sorry. What are you sorry for? You're sorry the way you look? Why are you sorry? You say, why are they going to tell you what they're sorry for? Let me know that you know that you did wrong. Because they could have offended you 150 different ways. I'm sorry, for what? 150 or just one of them, right? 149 things you're not sorry for. <laughs> right? Well, you don't let people off the hook. Listen, in order for this to be resolved, I need to know you're sorry for it. Amen. Amen. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 9. Now I rejoice. I rejoice. Paul is saying here, I'm, I'm very happy. This, this does my heart good. That ye were made sorry. Someone say sorry. sorry. In the element of turning to Jesus, there is sorrow involved. That you were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. Someone say to repentance. For ye that were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us and nothing for godly sorrow works repentance to salvation not to be repented of but the sorrow of the world worketh death isn't that interesting 
What do you mean by the sorrow of the world? I'll show you. In the kingdom of God, sorrow does not... I'll say it like this. Sorrow is not enough to constitute true conversion. You know, I know that there are in life today, I think I've known it, there are a lot of sorry people. Have you ever met somebody that, you know, they, they're walking by and they're just kind of say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I, they just say, I'm sorry a lot. Hello? I'm going to say, why is everybody so sorry? And then there's people that do things that they should not do. And they get so sorry about it. They do something Friday night, and they wake up Saturday. Sorry. And then they go out next Tuesday, and they wake up Wednesday. Sorry. And they come to the minutes, and they say, you know what I am? Sorry. And say, well, I'm sorry to hear that you're sorry. Right? And you say, one time he says, do I have compassion on these people? Because they keep doing the wrong thing over and over and over again. But in the kingdom of God, Paul says, You did not sorrow unto repentance. Sorrow in the kingdom of God can be used by God if it's godly sorrow. What do you mean? The sorrow of God, kingdom sorrow is when the Holy Spirit convicts a person and calls to a person and the person is grieved so much so by the burden of sin that they make use of the... I, I think I that. It's hard word. I'm, try, I'm, I'm trying to preach through the word of God. It may exclude something. I'm not trying, I'm, I'm not trying to be nice about it tonight. Amen. Make use of that sorrow. Stop saying you're sorry and get tired of what is making you sorry and turn to Jesus. Because when you turn to Jesus, guess what? If you trust Him to take what is causing you to be sorry every single weekend, guess what's going to happen? You're not going to be sorry. Amen. That's a Christian, a true converted believer. There's someone I met at the mall not long ago. I met at the mall. And he want and, and it was divine that I saw him. I walked up to him and said, Hey everybody, blah 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 and I said it's going to be like that. He had a, some serious issues. And I said, you know, I believe you're going to have a meeting together. Sit down here and talk to me. We sat there at the mall. And right there, it wasn't the food court, it was outside of one of the department stores at the table. I started ministering to him. And I prayed for him. And the power of God touched him. He started crying. And he felt free. I said, listen to me. You just got touched by God. Do you sense that? Or is it just a message? You tell me. No, I've been touched by God. You've been touched by God. I said, this is not the end. This is the beginning. What am I going to do now? I said, you need to have a conversion to Jesus. Because this that we just did is not, doesn't constitute turning to Jesus. This constitutes God touching and breaking the power of that thing over your life. That in itself does not involve you willing to turn to Jesus. 
So what I do, I said, do Come. I said, because if you don't start hearing the word of God, how are you going to trust Jesus to deliver you completely from this thing that's been tormenting you? Mm-hmm. And I know something that said I'm not, you're not doing it now. Now he's back. He's away. That's what I want God's people to become. People that speak the truth yeah. about God. Yeah. When I pray, I say, God, use me to pray for people and minister to them the gospel so that when I pray for you, when I minister to you, the power of God can touch you. You can feel God's presence. You can feel God's power. You can feel that on my life there is a holy God that operates through me when I pray that when that happens through my life he will call and if he calls to you guess what I cannot do as a minister I cannot make you respond to because if I tell you that turning to Jesus isn't easy. You know what that does? It takes away the urgency that people have to make decisions for Christ. And that decision can only come when you're tired of your sin. And you trust that this Jesus Christ is enough. I see people that are in sin. My heart goes out to them. And I can yell and scream and say, trust me. But if they don't see it, they're never going to trust you. Are you guys Do you know what this means? Do you know what this means? It means that the church of Jesus Christ has to pray. Because if we do not pray, and we are not a praying church, people, eyes, are not going to be open to see that the way out of their sin is to trust in the child. Amen. Is this good tonight? Okay, go with me to Isaiah chapter 55. Moving right along. Someone say sorrow. Sorrow. Isaiah chapter 55. Someone say trusting Jesus. I love singing. Me and Jordan today, we were listening to the song, The Blood That Jesus Shed For Me Way Back at Calvary. That blood gives me strength. From day to day, it will never lose its power. It reaches to the highest valley. It stretches to the lowest sea. The blood that gives me strength from day to day will never lose its power. That means that he has the ability to save me. Get that into your heart, believer. He has the ability to take that thing in your life that has been causing you misery and pull it right from you and give you peace instead. That's what parents should teach their children. Young ones. Alright, son, I know you I know you're free, but I want to tell you something. There's gonna be a day that comes in your life where you get tired of sin. And you need to trust Jesus. When that misery dawns on you, turn to Jesus. And you know what might happen? At three, they might have a conversion. 
Well, don't, you know, that brother, there's something wrong with kids. I have seen children. I have seen children, eight years old, demon possessed. Yeah. Yeah. Go on the view and say that. See what they say. But when a child looks at you, demon possessed, and you know what that tells me? That they're never too young to know about Jesus. If children in kindergarten can be promiscuous, don't talk about it in church. No, we're not talking about it. <laughs> can be promiscuous in kindergarten. Why can we not tell them about Jesus and ask them to convert to Christ? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Isaiah 55, verse number 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. That's a warning. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, that he may have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon him. Notice what this does not say. Let the wicked person be sorry for his sin. Let the wicked person say and be miserable in his sin, and be sorry and sorry. No, no, no. You know what it says? Let the wicked person forsake. Turn from sin and turn to the Lord. Amen? Amen. So, when people encounter Jesus, Jesus requires from those people, in order to follow me, you're going to have to turn from sin. Did you or did you not? The rich young ruler came to Jesus. Jesus said to him, sell everything that you have and follow me. And the Bible said that the rich young ruler was what? Wrought and made sorrowful because he had great possessions. Well, brother, Jesus wouldn't tell me to do that. No, Jesus hadn't told any of us to sell all our possessions, but he did. Then Brother Damar here would be in a white robe tonight. Amen? And he'd have walked here. He didn't come in his car. I had a friend in college that told me that. He said, you know, but Palmer, hey, God told us to sell our possessions and we need to just give it to the poor. I said, you first, I'll follow. <laughs> I said, what are you waiting for? What's stopping you? Why are you telling me I need to do it? You go first. You know what Jesus was telling that rich young ruler? If you're going to follow me, nothing can be Lord but me. And what, if he hadn't detected that that rich man was run by those riches, he would have never required of them. Because those riches were his Lord, not Jesus. So there is a principle we can extract from this. In order to have a true conversion, Jesus can't just be your Savior, but not your Lord. He's either your Savior and your Lord, or you don't follow him. You say, what do you mean, Ezekiel? Zacchaeus was a, there was a song we sing, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was deep on the song. Zacchaeus goes up in the sycamore tree, sees Jesus walking by, Jesus calls him, and says, Zacchaeus, come down, go into your house today, for today salvation has come to your house. And before he could become a follower of Jesus, what did he have to do? He had to pay back all those people he stole from. Right? In other words, in order to follow Jesus, I have to make right 
everywhere I go. I have to pay back everything I've done wrong because in order for me to follow Jesus, he has to call the shots, not me. Jesus told him, pay people back. And Zacchaeus said, Master, you're my Lord. There's nothing that says, and think about that for a second. Do you know how hard it would have been for Zacchaeus to do this? He had, these people probably didn't even know he stole from them. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> Why? Because he met the master. So when we find Jesus, we joyfully and happily say, Master, I will follow you. Because you know what? It should be the life of sin. Amen. And when you see somebody that has this kind of conversion experience in their life, do you know what I like to say? Produces, we'll talk about it next week. It produces a personal experience. Because you have real, true, saving faith in Christ. Amen. Are you still here tonight? Are you getting something? Go with me to Titus chapter 3. Someone say amen. I want to know that you're here. Is this good or not? I know it sounds like Sunday school, but... Uh, sometimes I don't, I don't hear these messages too often today. You know, we hear everything God's going to do for us. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. The next thing, someone say regeneration. regeneration. Well, say it like you mean. Regeneration. Okay. People that come to Jesus looking for forgiveness of sins. People that come to Jesus looking for the empowerment of the Spirit. Really? Do they find? Or even know that when they get saved, that they're going to experience regeneration. Titus 3 5. Not by works of right. Oh, let me say this in verse, go to number verse number four. But after that, the kindness and love of God appeared, our Savior toward after the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man appeared. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But according to his mercy, he saved us. Someone say mercy. mercy. How did he save us? Well, it came through his mercy, but it was by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now, I talked to you about the Holy Ghost a couple weeks before that. When the presence of God fills your life. But I want to say a few words tonight about regeneration because... This is a process that has happened in your life if you follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. This is regeneration. It is the same thing as being born again. How I many for being born again? Amen. Amen. This is powerful. Someone say powerful. Powerful. You say, what's regeneration? Say, tell me what it is. Tell me what it is. This is the act of God that makes you a new creature in Christ. That sounds good, right? Amen. It is the secret act of God where he imparts spiritual life to you. Now, let me go back over the order of this again, okay? You're living in sin. You're in misery and everything that follows, whatever you want to call it, all this stuff that could happen. The preacher preaches. The internal call of God summons your heart. The king of the universe says, why don't you come be a part of my kingdom? 
You are stirred intellectually, emotionally, and your will gets involved. You've heard enough about this Jesus to trust him. Oh, this is so good. It makes so much sense. You know enough about him to trust him that he is the answer that you're looking for to take away sin and to take away misery. This is why at Christmas time, if you're saved and born again and you hear heart to hear, oh, something inside of you just kicks and says, yes, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth. This is not talking about freedom from war and bombs being trapped. This is talking about if you want to be right with God, it's been made available. This is talking about people that are living in the mires and pits of darkness can come out and receive completion in this. Peace on earth. Mercy, my God. Sin reconciled. <laughs> Oh, trust me, in a couple of weeks we're going to start singing those songs again. <laughs> I think you'd be mad if you did it now. But 100.3 doesn't mind doing it now. Yeah, they started today. I was going to the gym and said, hmm, frosty, yeah. <laughs> so you respond and you trust Jesus. Jesus takes it. But you know what he does? Before you leave, he stops and says, wait a second, I got a few more things for you. Mm-hmm. You're like, I trust you, you took my sin. He doesn't let you go. Come over here. He's like this. Come first, come on. You come to me. This is your burden. You hand me your burden. Jesus takes it. You go to walk away. He says, wait, 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 wait. I, I got some other things I want to give you. Where are you going? Not so fast. And the first thing, go ahead. The first thing that God gives to you is regenerating. He says, before you leave. How about some spiritual life inside you? What do I have in spiritual life? Because you were completely dead. Spiritual life. When you see it, I know that. This happened to me multiple times. It's when you go to a restaurant or, and you have a waiter or waitress or servers, what they call them now. I'll call them waiter, waitress. Or you go to the car wash or checking out a Walmart, wherever you're at. And you see something in a person. You say that person is a dead person is a Christian. You ever done that before? I just tell that person a Christian. I know that person is. Are you a Christian? Yeah, I think I'm a Christian. I can see it all over you. You know what you're seeing? You're not seeing forgiveness of sins. You're not seeing conversion. You're seeing regeneration. That's taking place inside of their life because regeneration is the impartation of spiritual life. Yes, they were converted. Yes, God called them. Yes, God elected them to be saved as he's elected the whole world. Yes, but what you see in a person is the lack of death and darkness that has everyone in the world in his web and you see somebody that's broken out of that thing and you say, this person is different. What are you seeing? You're seeing regeneration and the influence of the Holy Ghost in that person's life. And that's why you should wake up in the morning and be in prayer and be in fellowship with God. Because if you do that, your life will start to come forth. The spiritual life in you gets charged up. It's like working it day by day. A person that never walks out in the gym, you'll never see the muscles they have. Oh, you say there's muscles under that skin somewhere. 
But I don't see because you never worked that muscle. It's like me. Right? It's like me, I've got to tell you. About two months ago, you would wonder if I even had anything on these bones, right? But I went to DNC and said, help me, help me. <laughs> help me, me, me. I said, don't try to sell me a million dollars worth of stuff. Just give me the basics. He's like, okay, I give you this. I said, are you trying to rip me off? He said, no, no, this is the good stuff. I use it. I said, uh-huh, sure, give it to me. Yeah. <laughs> the other guy walked in and said, I use this stuff. No. So I said, well, I can just put it in a bottle and shake it up. And, you know, of course, the bottle cost $9, right? I want to feel like everybody else in the gym. So I said, give me a bottle. Take one scoop, put it in. Go to work out, fill it up with water, drink it. I said, all right. But you know I had commitment? So I started working out, go to the gym. I said, I'm going to work out 90 minutes every day. Push it for 90 minutes. Same thing, same thing, push it, push it. The other day, I looked in the mirror and I turned and said, wow. <laughs> I said, didn't know I had that muscle on there. Wow. Yeah, it works. <laughs> This protein powder, my God, this is good stuff. <laughs> Working me. And then I was out to dinner with some people last night, and he said to me, "You look like you lost weight." I said, "No, I know you don't think you know, but trust me. When I came back from Italy, I was a mess." They said to me, "That little, that little Buddha that you had, you know, the, they're talking about my my pot belly." <laughs> they said, "It's gone." I said, "Yeah, it's gone." Because I'm on the average every day, seven pounds doing this, right? Two, four, eight, twelve, oh, 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 right? Another set, another set, guess what starts happening? Not long, you start to see I have more than a layer of fat under here. I have some muscle popping out. This is prayer. When you start praying and getting in the fellowship of God. I preach it the first time. People start seeing, oh, you got spiritual life under you so much and you can't see you know why because the fact that you had was all the cares of this world the worries that you had not necessarily sin but just a bunch of junk but you get up in the morning god i praise you i worship you i praise you i worship you, you know i was going to bed last night and you know what the lord told me i felt burdened to pray so much to pray about you know what god said to me last night he said sit in your bed and let me minister to you and I sat there and didn't say nothing and you know what the peace of God came on what were you praying nothing this is a two way exchange hello this is a two way highway sometimes I go to God but sometimes he comes to me that's right that's right and people say oh you got joy in your step this morning yes I do because God was ministering to me last night you know why because I'm in fellowship with him. We're going to talk about that next justification. The reason why he can do that with you, because he's been justified. Mm -hmm. Because all that sin you in, someone pays the price for Amen. Isn't this gospel good? I don't know why anyone want to preach anything else. Um, go with me to Ezekiel 36, 26, real quick. We're almost done. We're getting ready to finish here in just a second. Isn't this good? Yeah. 
Ezekiel 36. Did I say 26? I mean 36. Ezekiel 36. A new heart will I give you. A new spirit will I put within you. And I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I'll give to you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. That you'll keep my judgments and do them. So, go with me to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 5. I'll show you this in the New Testament. Oh, thank God for regeneration. Say thank God for regeneration. Come on, thank Him. Say thank you, Lord Jesus. Regeneration. Even when we were dead in sins, He quickened us together with Christ. Even when you were dead in sins. Dead. No life. Darkened. You were quickened together with Christ. So, go with me one more scripture. I want to read James 1, 17. This is probably the best scripture to tell you what regeneration is. Because it means being born again. James 1, 17. It says here, Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, no shadow of turning of his own will. Begat he us with the word of truth that we should be the kind of first fruits of his creature. The word begat, this is birthing language. It means to come out of a womb and see the whole world. Do you remember what I just told you about a sentence call? He begat us with the word of truth. You remember I said just a few minutes ago, we went on this three times. The preacher tells you about Jesus, and then God calls him. And you know enough about Jesus to trust him. You know what this is? This is the Greek word sperma. See. It literally means not see the earth. It's like a sperm that produces life. So when the word of God, I don't just mean the Bible. The Bible is the testimony of the word of God. And Aaron, it's perfectly true. But the word that he speaks in your heart when he calls you out of darkness, Damar, when God spoke to you, when you were in your sin, do you remember when he called to you by name and said, come out, and you were convicted? This was the word of God that he spoke to you and you trusted him. This was the seed, and when it hatched and came to maturity, you were born and begotten of God, and you came out a brand new creature. But that couldn't happen until a seed was planted in your life, in your heart, and the seed was God calling you to be born of him. Someone says, I hear God calling me. He's bringing the seed of his word into your heart. And if you respond to it by trusting it, guess what? You come out of the womb of God, speaking metaphorically, as a new creature. This is good. So I'll say yes. You won't hear this on Regis and Kelly, amen? You're not even on no more, but you won't hear that. They look at you like, huh? What are you talking about? Yes, it's the gospel, brothers and sisters. <laughs> It says in James 1.18, let me read this translation. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and out of all creation became his prized possession. So, 
Regeneration, like I said before, is the secret act where God imparts to his spiritual life. There was a time where God told his people, I'm going to give to you a new birth. Do you know what a new birth means? It means a new cast, a fresh start, a do-over. You know, would you go golfing with me? You know what my best friend is? A mother. A mulligan means you hit it off the tee and the ball goes into the woods somewhere and you say, let me get a mulligan, which means let me do it all over. Forget this, it's not Mark, let's pretend this never happened. They put the ball on there. Can I get two mulligans? Can I get three? No, there's a people behind you, they're going to play through. Okay, okay. Right? You know what people want more than anything today? A mulligan. What do you mean, brother? What do you mean? do-over. December 31st at 11.50, turn on ABC. And you'll see a million people in Times Square with glasses that say 2014, 2015, right? You'll see people with the hats 2015, and they're all looking up to a ball to drop on the city. Also, they can get a mulligan. That's the truth. A million people think a ball with lights is going to fall. Oh. And they're going to kiss everyone and forget all that all the quaintest be forgot, right? Yeah. Whatever, all, whatever was the song. <laughs> and they're going to get a do-over. And by January 4th, you've got to wait a whole 11 months and 26 days to get that mulligan again. You gotta play all 18 holes just to get back and get that. Because people today want a fresh start. There's only one way you can get a fresh start and that is the regeneration power of the Spirit of God that comes in and says, oh, that thing that you dealt with in 2014, let me kill it and make you alive inside of me. Isn't it powerful? So, look at 1 Peter 1, verse 3. You say, what, what, what is this do-over? What does this mulligan have to do with me? I want you to think of that on, uh, on, on December 31st. Text me if you think of that. <laughs> I say, that's not you. I don't even, I'm not, I haven't seen the ball drop in probably five or six years. I'm somewhere else preaching the gospel. I've preached almost every single New Year's Eve since I started my ministry. Last year I was in Italy wishing everyone... New Year's from six hours ahead. I've had more 2014 than you have thus far. Amen? First Peter 1 Peter 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy, sounds like James, hath begotten us again. Remember, the new birth. Unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you. No, no, no. Watch this. Watch this. This is where you miss it. This is where you don't see the switch taking place. This is where good Bible exegesis will help you see what he just said. You have been begotten again to a lively hope. He's talking about being born to an inheritance. If you are born into inheritance, what does that mean? Make you son? Yeah. What's it make you? An heir. That means 
in Christ Jesus. In Jesus Christ. When he called, thank you, Jesus. See, most people come down, they just want to just come back up. Ten years in. Excuse me, you're saying, thank you very much, you ready to leave? Wait, 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 I got some more stuff for you, George. I I'm going to make you spiritual life. Didn't expect to get that. You know what I'm going to make you now? God takes the crown and puts it upon your head. And he says, give me that finger, and let me put that, I wish I had this to illustrate, let me put that ring upon you. And here's a robe, and now when people see you, they'll know that you are an heir. And when they see the crown, and they see the robe, and they see the ring, they know your heir means that there is an inheritance that you are going to inherit someday. Because you have spiritual life. Because now you're a son, like Sean just said. Amen. Amen. So, are you receiving something tonight? Yeah. So, write this down. In regeneration, a very real birth takes place. It's being born again. Someone said to me, are you one of those born-again Christians? I said, there's no such thing as a non-born-again Christian. <laughs> well, you know, I just don't understand what it means to be born again. I don't understand what it means to be born again. Well, come to Bible class. We'll teach you. This is what Jesus said in John 3, verse 8. Very interesting. Very interesting. The wind blows where it wants. I'm reading it out of the Revised Standard Version, RSP. The wind blows wherever it wants to. Who can tell the wind where to blow and where not to blow, right? What time is it? Okay, I'll be done by I promise. We'll be out of here. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. In other words, this whole God making you a new creation in Christ, nobody knows how it's done. All we know for certain is that when He regenerates you, He regenerates you and you're given new life. People call it the DNA history. It means literally He's changed the genetics of your spirit. But let me present to you this, and I teach that in my book, as a metaphor to explain the new life you get. But guess what? You weren't just spiritually dead. You were spiritually dead. Your spirit was dead. But more than your spirit comes alive in Christ. The Bible says when we were dead in trespasses and sins, your spirit was the only thing dead in trespasses and sins. Your mind was dead in trespasses and sins. How many when you got this experience, you stopped thinking stupid? How many minds you started thinking, I used to think like that. Your mind became alive. Your body started, you wanted to change. Your body started coming alive. Your will became alive. Your emotions stopped going through the washing machine every two days. Amen. <laughs> more than you than just your spirit. Though your spirit came alive, more than you. Okay, the results of regeneration. I'll finish. Regeneration brings big results. Someone say big results. Jesus says you'll know a person by their fruit. Number one, if a person regenerated, the Bible says... In 1 John chapter 2, those who have been born into God's family don't make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they're children of God. So when you receive regeneration, you know what you will not do? You won't make a practice in your life of sin. I don't mean that you mess up once or twice, you do something you shouldn't do. 
I, that, that, I talked about that last week. Christians do that. It means that every day you're not out there doing stupid, sinful things, right? Because you have that life-giving seed that birthed you, it will stop you from sinning. How do you know that when you have the Word of God in your life, before you do something, the Word of God puts the brakes on it? Yeah, that's real. Yeah. You're about to do it in the Word. <laughs> well, how about this? Let me ask you this question. How many have you have been, you decide to sin, you start going into that sin, and you don't feel like right doing it, and you turn out of it? Has that ever happened to you? Listen to this. This is a true story. Someone told me this one time. I think this is a good story. He was a football player. And he was with all the football guys. Born again now. Saved. Regenerated. And all the guys were going to the gentlemen's club for the football team. And he said to me, Chris, I just had to go because I was on the football team. I don't want to get the abuse and the criticism. But inside, I was hurting. I was dying. I didn't want to go into the gentleman's club. Oh, I cried out to God. I said, what are you doing? I was standing in line getting ready to go into the gentleman's club. He said, I just didn't feel right. You know why? Because the word of God yes. is working in his heart. Yes. It doesn't feel right. That's and you know what he said? I said, what did you do? He said, I prayed. I said, what happened? He said, the whole block, the power went out. <laughs> the power went out the whole block. I said, wow. I got you. you don't want to go in there? I you don't want to I got you. I want to go down the whole block. Awesome. Yeah. One guy told me one time that he's been born again and saved, and his relationship with this one girl was getting promiscuous. She was an unbeliever. And in the middle of when it was word all he can talk, in the middle of it getting to that point where it was going to go farther, she stopped. You know what she said? I can't do this. She's the unsaved person. She said, there's something about you that's pure and I can't do it. I got you. Is that really what happened? This stuff is real, people. Yes, it is. It is so real. There's life on inside. He that is born of God cannot, if God has to take the power on a sick block and knock it out or tell a sick to leave you alone because you can't do it yourself. I got you. <laughs> now, don't think that just because it happened to him, it's going to happen to you. <laughs> well, God didn't shut the power off. I guess I can go in, though. <laughs> Amen? Number two, number two, number two is you will love your brothers in Christ. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. This does not mean you have to love everybody in the world. Jesus never told you to love everybody in the world. You don't know everybody in the world. You can't love everybody in the world. Do you know who is important for us believers to love? The Christians. If there are people that hate Christians and do not like being around Christians, I wonder if they can say, love for the brethren is very important. It signifies you've been born again. There are people that just don't want to be around Christians. Oh, Christians have upset me. I hate Christians because I... But listen, you have love in your heart. You should love Christians. Amen? The next thing is, hold on, my notes, my gosh, what happened to these notes? The next thing is love for the brethren. Here we go. The next thing here is protection, excuse me, is overcoming the world. First John 5, 64. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This means that the temptations 
that are in the world, the things of this fallen world, the pressures, the cares, the temptations, the attacks of the enemy, you have overcome it through the life of society. You're an overcomer. This is an old 70s Christian song called Overcomer. If I was crazy, I'd play it here. Amen? The imperial son, overcomer, born of God, joining us with Jesus Christ, ruling over circumstances, fearless in this life, protected by the shield of faith, using the power of his name, the battle for the war, and we overcome. I love that song. He's an overcomer. That means when temptation comes, power to turn it away. I was the guy, I told you this story, I'll tell you again. We're in the bank and he said, Lord, you know, tell me about your God. He says, my God has given me power over temptation. Do you have power over temptation? He says, no. I said, then is your God weak or is he not present? Which is it? <laughs> because if he's present, then there should be power. If he's not present, then he's Amen. The next thing is protection from Satan. The one who was born of God, that's Jesus. The one who was born of God keeps him safe and the evil one cannot harm him. Here the enemy comes after you, the enemy is about to attack you, and Jesus stands up. Don't touch him. You know, we think so many times that the reason the enemy cannot penetrate us with his attack is because of us. Well, you know, because me, I'm so big faith man, I'm so big authority man. Or is it that you're defending Stand and says, don't touch him. You touch him. You touch him, but you don't touch him. Why? Because he's my child. He's my heir. How many times that you don't even know about? Yes. You say, well, God, I've never seen God protect me. How many times do you think God has kept you from ever seeing the harm that was about to come to you? You could have turned right on 696 and been in the right, but you never did. You just, just kept on going. Because you know what? That means that the, this is, watch this. If the enemy, for whatever reason, thought that you were valuable to his kingdom, and he wanted to come in as a thief and pluck you out of the hand of God, it's impossible for him to do that. Because Jesus says, no. He is mine. That's how much he loves you. That, has it ever occurred to you that Jesus Christ, the king of the universe, the celestial champion of the cosmos, knows who you are. Get that inside you. You know the Bible says that perfect love has out fear. You know what this really means in context? It doesn't mean that perfect love, I just gotta walk in love and I won't be afraid of getting hit by a bus in the morning. <laughs> perfect love, we just walk in love with people. We just, uh, you know what, I just have a revelation of God's love and I won't be afraid of spider. That's not what it means. It means that when you understand how much Jesus Christ loves you, you will not be afraid of judgment anymore. Because you know what the whole world is afraid of? Standing before God and being judged. And you know what God says? Perfect love. He eliminates the fear of judgment. Makes sense now, doesn't it? I tell you, John wasn't thinking about arachnophobia and agoraphobia and all those phobias when he was right. He was thinking about the biggest problem the world has is the fear of God's wrath that was due man. And now you no longer have to fear. Now, if you want to apply it to spiders, be my guest. He'll take from that too. The last one is you'll have the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, self-control. Because you people that don't ever demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit and no evidence of it in their lives. I'm not talking about human kindness. Well, they gave me their potato chips. No, I don't mean that. Well, you know, he gives me his Coke at lunch. I don't mean that kind of kindness. I mean divine kindness. You, 
Don't hate your enemy. You love your enemy. This is gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance. This is how you know someone's been regenerated. Now that you've heard the light of today, connect with us. Go to our website, lightoftoday.org. Write us at P.O. Box 403, Wald Lake, Michigan, 48390. Or tweet Chris Palmer at twitter.com forward slash Chris Palmer. Our podcasts are free and updated regularly, so make sure to share them with a friend and tune in again to the light of today with Chris Palmer.